What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of? With your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I have another guest on this show today that some would consider unstoppable. And I want to introduce you to my friend, Richard Green. He has coached celebrities ranging from Princess Diana to Deborah Messing, also Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith to help them utilize their celebrity towards effective nonpartisan civic engagement. He's responsible for countless overtures between political parties and celebrities. He's known as the master of charisma by the Sunday Times of London. He's an engaging and thought-provoking speaker. Richard has also been on the other side of the microphone as a talk show host, interviewing senators, congresspersons, and the major news personalities and providing commentary for ABC Radio Networks, Fox News, and others. Richard, welcome to the What Are You Made Up show. Thank you, man. I just want to clarify, especially given the Will Smith, Jada Pinkett situation now, it was a number of years ago, I got a, an email saying, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett are doing a movie and they it has a critical public speaking scene in it. And we want you to come and advise them on what makes a great speech. So I actually thought, even given what happened at the Oscars, that Will's acceptance speech was actually pretty extraordinary. A lot of people criticized it, but holy mackerel, what an incredible moment to have to go deep into your heart and your center and your vulnerability after all of that. So I am not in touch with them, but that was an incredible honor. And I spent a good hour with them going through the breaking down the minute details of what the character who was giving this speech in this movie that they were producing needed to do in order to have the impact that I know they wanted that that character to have. Awesome. Well, thank you for the clarification. And you know, I would say at that moment, there was two instances of, conf- you know, what I call confronting. I love confronting rather than running. And he confronted one aspect, whether it was right or wrong. And he also confronted the fact that he had to go up and give that speech. And like you said, I thought that I thought that was impressive as well. So, uh, but, you the, know, one, one thing yeah. I, I just want to add on that, which, which I think is really interesting. And as you mentioned, I've had the incredible honor and privilege of being with and coaching and supporting and hanging out with and learning about some extraordinarily successful people. I mean, at the very, very top, right? I mean, presidents, prime ministers, Princess Diana, lots of billionaires, lots of CEOs. And what I loved about that moment, which kind of goes to what are we made of, we kind of got to see that Will Smith, you know, with his, what, 40 million Instagram fans or whatever he has in his hundreds of millions of dollars and his his marquee status as one of the great actors, most popular actors, both in TV and movies. And he's got everything, got the beautiful wife, got the beautiful kids, he's got the house, he's got everything. And he's still human. He's still flawed. He still overreacts. 
he still has traumas and dark shadow sides that are still running through his perfect life and his perfect body. That's the message. Yeah, I love it. hundred percent. And we're now so we're all made of the same, right? We're all yeah. made of the same electrons and protons and neutrons and molecules. And we all come, and I know you have a spiritual background. We all are the same and we come from the same stuff and we're made of the same stuff in this human meat suit, as people would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is the outer layer of the deeper essence of who we are on a spiritual and soul level. And, and that's, I think, in terms of what are we made of? How do we get where we are? I think it's by allowing our soul, which is part of the all, part of God, however you want to call it, to do what it's meant to do, what it came here to do, what its dharma is. That's what powers everything. Now, are you going to go with that answer for the question, what are you made of, Richard? <laughs> there are many levels, right? There's just yeah, like there's yeah. seven chakras. I mean, I can, I can focus on any one of those chakras, but I think what I'm made of is what everybody's made of, what everything's made of. I am part of the all that is. And my job, as I said, is to leverage that which I have, which is unique because we're all together. We're all the same. I'm made of exactly the same stuff. And I have unique experiences and unique skills that I can only learn about by going into my own self-discovery. Okay. Love it. I love it. That's what I was looking for. So let's, let's go here now. Like, How did you get to where you are today? Where did it start? What was the... You can take us back as far as back as you want, but what was a catalytic moment that got you on the journey to where you we're working with people like Princess Diana and advising people on a movie like Will Smith and you know and, and being Tony Robbins' lawyer, right? Yeah, and that and was being, that was a, that was a big part for me, but it goes way back before then. And then I'll tell you the Tony Robbins story because that did change my life. Okay. Um, I mean, Tony's changed a lot of people's lives. I mean, I had an incredibly intimate experience of having my life changed by Tony. It really started when I was six years old, lying alone in my bed in New Jersey and trying to figure out where I came from, right? You're saying, what are you made of? You know, where'd I come from? Right? Mommy and daddy, where'd they come from? You know, grandma, grandpa, nanny and papa, where'd they come from, right? Yeah. We go all the way back. And then it's like, okay, well, Adam and Eve, okay? And it's like, I'm six, almost seven years old. And I'm thinking this, okay, so Adam and Eve, so where did Adam and Eve come from? Oh, they came from God, right? So I'm just reciting what it is that I, that I learned. And then I remember breaking out into a cold sweat because it was like a circuit just kept repeating and it kept heating up. And it's like, well, where did God come from, right? God came from his parents. Again, I'm six years old. It's like, but where yep. did his parents come from? God came from a thought. God came from a grain of sand. And I couldn't figure it out. And I literally, at the age of six, made a decision that I was going to figure it out. So that was a huge part of my spiritual kind of curiosity journey. And Einstein says curiosity is like the most important aspect of a human being. And I, I think that's true. And so I went, I studied politics at college, went overseas for a year abroad at the University of Reading in England then came back and, and started law school at USC. And because I, I really wanted to be a politician, my dream was to be a congressman. 
right? That was my fantasy. Uh, first, a baseball player for the Dodgers, and then that seemed like <laughs> that wasn't going to work out. And then a congressman. So I graduated law school, started doing some work in some law firms here. And then in 1983, I got a piece of mail in my mailbox showing a picture of a tall, very young guy with a suit, barefooted, walking across a bed of hot coals and say, fear into power, the firewalking experience, come learn to how to overcome your fear and become unstoppable and walk on a bed of 10 feet of, of hot coals. And this was in 1983. And I went, it was in Santa Monica, 150 people were there. And it was Tony Robbins' first seminar in the United States. Wow. <laughs> and afterwards, I walked up to him and I said, listen, I'm a lawyer in town. And I just have to say, I think you're one of the most extraordinary communicators I've ever seen. And I know you're going to go on and make a massive contribution to the world. And I want to help you do it. And he went, okay, cool. Uh, let's have lunch. And so we had lunch and then I became his lawyer and he moved into my law office suite area. And we stayed up till two and three every morning, kind of brainstorming how he could do his career. And in the process, I learned his technique. I got to watch one of the greatest speakers in the history of the world and figure out what made him, you know, what he was made of and decided what he was doing was way more fun than practicing law. So after two years of being with Tony as his lawyer and, and part of, you know, one of a few members of his team at that point. I decided that I wanted to do that, quit my practice, traveled around the world, spent three and a half months in India and Nepal, shaved my hair, the whole thing, and came back and said, okay, I'm starting fresh. And started then at $7 an hour as a, a behavior education coach for Nutrisystems, wow. using, using what I learned with neuro-linguistic programming and Tony Robbins to help people lose weight and also doing some private coaching, you know, at a little more yeah. than that, but basically starting all over and wow. struggling and then decided that the biggest thing, the biggest niche that I thought I could make a contribution to because Tony was doing his thing was the number one fear in the world. The number one fear in the world is public speaking. It, more people are significantly afraid of public speaking than even death. And so I figured out from again, modeling Tony, integrating neuro-linguistic programming, some of the aspects of that, and my own experience as a public speaker and a lawyer, breaking it down, creating a whole new model that completely redefined how to teach public speaking. And that's what I've been doing for the last 37 years in 53 countries. And it's been really cool. And now who is your favorite speaker of all time? Well, Funny you should ask, where's my book? I, I actually spent a year and a half to write a book about it. And this came out in 2002, and it's the 20 most inspiring speakers of the 20th century. And I would have to say, I don't know if you can see it, this, this guy here. Yeah, Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, you know, he's, when, when, when I talk to people and, and they say, oh, I think I'm good, I say, okay, I'll, are you as good as Dr. Martin Luther King? And they again, no. And I said, good, then there's room for improvement. How can anybody say that they're just, they're good and not like, I'm never content with like the level that I've achieved. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm happy. Are... I'm happy no matter what. I feel happy, not all the time, but most for the, you know, obviously the, 
the majority uh, of the time, but I'm never like, there's always more. We don't know what our potential is, right? Well, that's what makes you, you, right? And that's what drives you. And that's an extraordinarily important component of success, right? But I'll tell you the answer. It's because of ego and people feeling insecure and not wanting to even address the fact that they're not as good as they could be. And my response to them is like, hey, man, Roger Federer, you know, I'm very into tennis, you know, Mm -hmm. Roger Federer takes a tennis lesson every freaking day, right? So, you know, if you, so, but that is the biggest issue in personal growth coaching, right? For people, you know, maybe they don't have the bandwidth or they don't have the resources, but most people do if it's important. It's that sense of not being motivated to be all they could be. And that's what makes you, again, that's what drives you. And I love it. And I can totally relate to it. And back to the Einstein quote, it's like the curiosity. And so I play a lot of tennis now. And it's like, I don't care if I get destroyed, six love, six love. But if I can learn something by playing a player who is way better than me, and it's like, I don't care. I'm, you're great. Congratulations. You won. There's no ego in it. Right. And so if people say, okay, I'm a good public speaker, but I could be better and I can have even more success and I can impact people more and more authentically and more deeply and create the kind of culture that I want. Right. And if I'm a little bit better, that's the attitude, but not everyone has that attitude. And yeah. that will doom, that will put a total limit on their success. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of trying to stay safe, right? Is that the the ego does, it keeps you safe and secure and... Well, it's safe, right? Yeah. Right. And and for people who have done experiences where they've expanded their consciousness, either through meditation or plant medicine or in any other way, where you're able to have some sort of an ego dissolution or ego death, you actually understand the ego doesn't keep you safe. The, The ego keeps you in a box. And to the extent that that ego is controlling you, it is keeping you in a place where I think what most likely arises is something called the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, one yeah. of the reasons successful people don't go further is it's like, oh, hold on. I got to stay in my safe little shell where I'm in control and no one can see that I'm really not quite as smart or as good or as capable as they think that I am. Because, you know, and that's, that's a big part of narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. which is an element with a lot of people who are leaders of countries or leaders of companies, they're actually more sensitive than other people. They literally cannot handle being criticized or being seen to be weak. And right. That's and happening right now with Putin, for example. That's why that's what's going Ukraine, on. The war in Ukraine will not stop. Putin will never, ever, ever show weakness or defeat. He can't because of the way his narcissistic personality disorder is controlling him, connected to that egoic need to be strong, to be whoever you imagine yourself to be, but are not completely that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure you've worked with students and maybe you've experienced this yourself. And I've noticed this is that when you do let go and you go for it and you try to take things to the next level and you're making that, that leap and you start to see your own power that you've been blessed with, given, or whatever you want to call it, the source is debatable for some people. I know what my source is. But when you achieve certain things, you see the power that you actually have or the light that you see and you're like scared from, you're scared of it. Like it it actually is so intense that when you achieve certain levels, I'm sure you worked with people and they 
they they end up being great speakers and they you know some pull back a little bit because they can't take the whether it's the uh, publicity the whatever it is have you experienced that you know what I'm talking about well that's the Marianne Williamson quote which was previously attributed to Nelson Mandela you know we're not afraid of our weakness we're afraid of our greatness or light i forget the exact quote yeah it's a little overwhelming and and i think there's the eastern spiritual approach to that has two things that i think are very valuable which is not to have expectations and not to be attached to anything right if you're attached to anything that's currently happening right now then you can never go beyond that true right? yeah yeah and 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 also that sense of just surrender right letting go letting go and then and again going back to the ego and if you totally are, are in that space that einsteinian space that i see you being in mike of just i want to explore i'm here for a limited time let me explore and you say you know where your source is from uh, i also have as i kind of alluded to you and i may not agree on this but i'm such a huge fan of einstein and einstein was a pantheist in fact i wrote a little a little book on Einstein awesome um, e equals mc squared i know it's probably backwards e equals mc squared and the new definition of god and and part of that new definition of god is a, a pantheistic view which i'm fascinated by do you know what pantheism is no and i look words up when i don't know so excuse me for not looking at the camera for a minute <laughs> you can go, explain go it to ahead. me though go ahead I, see there's the curiosity see now <laughs> that is exactly what you are made of man <laughs> because look what we just had a real life example i came up with something and you say oh i want to learn right so what is yeah. it what's the definition yeah. say it's the view that the world is either identical to god or an expression of god's nature it comes from pan meaning all and theism which means belief in god so according to pantheism god is everything and god is everything is god what do you think about that um no i'm with you that's that's uh you know even even people in christianity don't realize this they they separate God from themselves when really it talks about the fact that you let God in and and we're in the image of God. So there's there's every all these different religions are so connected. It's just the way people interpret them, right? But I'm no, I'm can with you. you. Can I give you a three sentence poem that kind of encapsulates of course you this? Can. It's very it's my lawyer mind trying to answer this idea that people have. Oh, God is a God is everywhere. Right? Yeah. And so I said, okay. So again, my lawyer mind. And but then the people who say God is everywhere also think that we are filled with sin and other things and i said well hold on if god is this is the name of this poem if god is truly everywhere where would he not be that's the name of the poem if god is truly everywhere where would he not be a rabbit a thought a friend and an enemy a mountain and a tree and if god is truly everywhere he must also be me yeah wow i guess you know the question is really is there good and bad and there, is there really enemies no there's not Right. Because there can't be, there's an enemy if there's good and bad, but if you really don't look at good and bad, it's just an interpretation of something. So here's the thing. I mean, we could look at Hitler, we could look at Putin, we could look at people who are, who do very, very bad things. But so I'm wearing a black shirt and you're wearing a black shirt. What most people don't know, black is not a color. Black doesn't exist. Right. It's the absence of light, right? The reason it's black is because what's in the fabric literally absorbs all of the light and there is only one kind of light and that's white light right? you can break it down with the prisms you red orange yellow green blue indigo violet but it sucks it all up and nothing reflects back right 
So black is an illusion. Darkness is an illusion, right? Evil is an illusion. It's just the absence of that which is. You have free will. You have free choice. You can focus on that illusion or you can focus on the fact that God is everything. And so what we are all made of is that God nature. And it's our mission in our 70, 80, 90, 100, 120 years on the planet, I think, to become more and more connected, fully connected to the who-ness of who we are and the whatness of what we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I also believe that we're here to see what we can do with the physical universe. Because if you notice the evolution of things and how fast things evolve and innovation happens, it feels like we come into this world and we do this and then we learn something from it and then we leave and then we come back and maybe it's not the same spirit, but it's new people, whatever, new cells. And then there's innovation that, that's designed from what is learned from the past. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a great well, conversation. Back your, yeah. Back to your point. I mean, everything is evolution in that sense, right? We're constantly growing. And so even if we think we're not growing, it's like, oh my God, I'm going backwards, man. It's just getting worse. That experience is growth. Yeah, yeah. Because you're creating, as Tony would say, new distinctions. Wow, I thought I was cool, and then there's this, and now, now I understand that's not really who I am, and I need to take this action, and I need to chill out, or I need to, whatever. Right? You're constant. You can't not be learning. You can only be not aware of the learning if you choose to limit yourself in that way. Yeah. And another uh, quote that's so great, it's like this bottle, it's like this idea, oh, you're a half, you're a glass half full person, you know, and there are glass half empty people. And then Reverend Michael Beckwith created this, which I think is so brilliant. I mean, this bottle is, is physically half full of water, more or less, but it's completely full. Yeah, there is no, right it's there. impossible for a glass <laughs> to be half full because the, even if it's half full of water, the other half is full of air. Yep, it's half yep. full. You're just choosing not to look <laughs> at it that way. That's the reality that you've taken, the agreement that you have with it. And I, and I think too, like for for example, Putin. Putin doesn't think he's bad. He doesn't think he's doing bad. He doesn't view it that way. So yeah, I, I, I we we could go down this all day. Let me ask you a question, Richard. When did when was the the moment that you were able to start seeing uh, yourself not just being able to work with celebrities like and and act actually happening, but being able to feel that type of person being that where you notice like, wow, I'm, I'm good enough to do that. Like when was that moment? You know, it's interesting. That's such a huge question, Mike. I think there's always that little voice in the background, right? It's like, I remember when I was young and traveling around, you know, I was like in my mid thirties and I'm speaking to all, you know, Swiss bankers who are folding their arms in Zurich or whatever. And it's like, you know, I'm just this kid you know, from Los Angeles and they're, you know, they're, they really have their shit together. Sorry. Um, So there's, but there's always that, you know, and it's like, I'm not as good as Tony Robbins or, you know, I'm not tall enough or I don't have a PhD or I don't have an MD or, right. There are a million opportunities for you to devalue yourself. And then I came up with something which I've been teaching for a long time. And that is that, So for example, I'll talk about myself. Some people think I'm the best public speaking coach in the world. Maybe, maybe not. But I'll tell you what I am the best at. Absolutely, verifiably, can't argue with this beyond any shadow of a doubt. I am the best Richard Green public speaking coach in the world. 
meaning yep, yep. that who you are, if you embrace who you are and the uniqueness of that and really go and leverage what it is that makes you excited and makes you unique and makes you powerful, right? That And understand that in the history of the multiverse, there will never, ever, ever be another you. You could clone me. I could clone you. But by the time that human got to be in their 30s or 40s or 50s, they would have had a completely different parents, different set of experiences, and they would not be the same. Yep. So when my father passed, I looked at him and I believe as he was gone, and I believe that life never ends. First law of thermodynamics, you know, energy can be neither created nor destroyed. And Einstein taught us that energy and matter are the same thing. And it's like, oh, he'll be back. He's not going anywhere. He's just in another dimension. He'll come back on earth or some other place. And then I realized, I said, oh my God, that thing I'm looking at, that body, he was almost 87 at the time, will never be repeated again. Wow. That unique combination of molecules and plasma and and heart and brain and experience and genetics, that will never, ever, ever happen again. It never has happened before my father. It's never going to happen again, no matter what. And that sense of your incredible, absolute, scientifically verifiable uniqueness that's the superpower. And that's the way you get beyond the, I'm not good enough. I'm into the imposter stuff. It's like, no, I'm the freaking best Richard Green public speaking teacher in the world. If you don't want my approach and what I, from my years on the planet, can bring to the experience of teaching public speaking and help you, if you don't want that, then fine, go someplace else. Or take what you can from me and then go someplace else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, as I told you, I'm really into tennis. I've gotten back into I used to teach tennis when I was in college and law school. But every single tennis teacher, no matter how good they are as a player or as a teacher, they've got something different to teach me, a different approach than everyone else. And so I could go to a hundred different tennis teachers and I would still be learning. Yeah, yep. So, and so as that's we want, the approach. It's like I can only give what I can give. I don't have to be the best. I just have to be the best me. And that's going to be a unique, non repeating experience in the history of the multiverse. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. So that's when you started to know that that changed things for you for feeling purpose, like the being of worthy or or uh, yeah, that capable, sense of right, that sense of of all I have to offer is what I have to offer. If it helps you, great. If it doesn't, great. Am I perfect? Yep. No. Do I have some perspectives, some talents? that other people don't have? Absolutely. And that's what I want you to focus on. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And then from there, practically what led to talking to someone that was a celebrity and working with someone, what was the first time or what led to the first uh, big name person that you worked with? Wow. Yeah. It's just, it's just getting out there, right? It's just getting out there. I mean, Tony talks about proximity, right? 
In other words, you go to and, and during COVID, of course, it was hard, but, you know, you go to events and you go to meetings, you go to conferences and you just will keep meeting people. And so the truth is on Princess Diana, um, that actually wasn't a referral. A lot of other things came from referrals like PR agencies and whatever. It's like, oh, you could help this celebrity or whatever. But Princess Diana, I ran into her. I was doing a lot of work in London. I ran into her at her gym. Wow. And then we started talking and I wrote her a letter and she invited me to have a private lunch with her at Kensington Palace to talk about how to overcome her fear of public speaking. And what is your, what is your opening line with people besides, I mean, obviously you build relationships with someone, but when you get into what you do, how do you lead into that you're a public speaking coach? Is there one way that you go about it or is it different every time? You know, I mean, with her, it was obviously a, a very unique circumstance with, with Diana. I had been hired by the television show Extra to fly to New York to critique a speech she was giving at a charity event. She was with Barbara Walters and Colin Powell, and she was giving a speech, and I was there to break it down. And then when I saw her, I said, I just want you to know that your speech in New York with Colin Powell and Barbara Walters was absolutely incredible. And I was being genuine and authentic. And people love being complimented as long as it's genuine and authentic. Yep. And she goes, oh, no, I, I hate public speaking. Right. And then we were off to the races. Right. And but in terms of other people, how it comes, it's just just one thing leads to another. I mean, you just keep getting out there and doing whatever you're doing. I mean, whether now it's the podcasts or going <clears throat> to give a talk at a networking event or an, oh, you know, someone that you met uh, or you're playing tennis with. Oh, my God. Yes. My CFO needs is not a very good speaker let me talk to the hr person i mean i don't know i mean i can go through i mean i've, I've yep. worked in 53 countries well actually for me it was a, the biggest break to be honest was i got an agent right and it's who um literally didn't give up and he got me booked he found the cell phone of the guy who was running the young president's organization global leadership conference in singapore and wow. he got his cell phone. He said, I have a guy who can train you and all your executives and all the speakers. And he's an incredible speaker and he teaches this incredibly new way of, of public speaking. And he'd be awesome for the young president's organization. And I met with the guy and we kind of fell in love. And he flew me to Singapore, had me coach all of the top people, and then gave a keynote, which was standing room only 600 people and out of that 600 person actually it was a breakout not even a keynote out of that 600 people i got booked in like 33 different countries wow man what is what was the thought that went through your head after that like i, I did you feel like you like accomplished oh, something huge or I, what i knew i nailed it because it was an hour-long thing and i could feel, and everyone was standing eating their lunch because there was no room right it was yeah. you know totally maxed and no one was leaving and people wanted to come in. It's like, and I, you can feel when you're on a roll and you've totally surrendered to being of service to that audience. So in the back yeah. of my head, oh man, this is good. This is going to be a lot of business, right? I literally made significantly more than a million dollars from that speech, from that, that, that one breakout. And the back of the head, it's like, you know, I'm thinking about myself and I said, no, no, no. Back Until to the this is over. Until this is over, I am totally in service mm -hmm. 
to these people who are giving me this incredible gift of their attention, yeah. even sitting on the floor with their, with their box lunch. And I'm just here because that's, listen, here's the bottom line in public speaking. I'm going to redefine it for everybody, right? It's not about you. It's not about selling your product, your service, your book, your ideas. It's not. Public speaking, great public speaking is nothing more than having a conversation from the heart, number two, about something that you are authentically passionate about. And then the third thing is the most important. So four words encapsulates this third thing. And it's like, it's all about them, not about you. Love it. Love it. It's all about them. And so the old way of public speaking is, oh, I'm not even going to look at them. I'm going to look over their head. I'm going to imagine that these poor suckers are sitting naked or in their underwear, right? Which is such a incredibly disrespectful, arrogant, hierarchical thing. I'm up on the stage and they're, they're nothings and I'm great. That's BS. That's the opposite. It's all about them. You want to look in their eyes. It's all about them. So Having great public speaking is nothing more than having a conversation from your heart about something that you are authentically passionate about. And part of my training is like, you know, this stuff, you're not passionate about it. How do we get you passionate about it? Like it's the passion that fuels your great speaking, right? Right. About something you're authentically passionate about. And the third thing is in order to help other people, in order to share information with them, share ideas, share products, share services, share yourself so that they can solve their problems. They can be better. They can be healed. They can move to the next level in their own evolution, right? If you focus on them, you're no longer going to be scared. You're giving a gift. And sometimes I, I have someone come up at the, out of the audience who's afraid. I say, who's afraid? I, someone raised their hand. I say, come on. And I, I have uh, some $100 bills or I imagine, I say, okay, here, I'm giving you a stack of $100 bills, one for every one of the 150 people in the audience, right? And your job is to go person to person, like, you know, there's a car for you, a car for you, like the Oprah thing, here's $100 for you, 100, 100, right? And say, oh, $150, $100 bills that you're handing out. And I said, would that, would you be nervous doing that? And he, almost every time the answer is no, of course not. And I said, well, why not? Because I'm giving them $100. And then my answer is, if what you're sharing when you're speaking is worth less than $100, then don't do it. Right. Yep. I love it. That's 100% on. I, I, I've never, ever have that sweaty palm feeling or that heartbeat. Like I get excited because I love doing what I do when I'm on stage, but it's all about them and engaging with them. Like, why would you not look at them? I mean, I, I want to look at their face and see their response so that I can maybe talk to that person, ask a question or get the energy going, man. I, I Man, you're spot on with that. I know you know that already, but just I'm in agreement with that 100%. And I, I got to respect your time here because we're over and I, and I can go on and on and on with you. And I want to apologize for going over. No, um, no, 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 no. Final question. Final question. Because I want the audience to be able to gauge with you as well. What's the vision for the future for you? And what's got, like, what's got you excited that you're doing right now? So- I have three areas in my life that I focus on. The core, the bread and butter, and I, I've been doing it for so long, but I still love it, is public speaking. Like I'm going to be speaking in a couple months to a couple thousand people. Love it. I'm going to Germany next month and speaking to you know, some s- smaller groups. And I love that. And I keep having things come and I will continue to do that. I mean, I 
I would rather be in front of an uh, audience of a hundred or a thousand or 5,000 people than doing almost anything. It doesn't scare me. It's like a spiritual experience. Yeah, I, I agree. I love it. That's great. And I can teach people. It's like, so you can have a vibe with one person, but if you have a vibe with a thousand people, man, that's like a, it's like an altered reality experience. So there's that. And I'm going to continue to do that. And then I really am passionate about the kind of redefining spirituality and God and my little children's book, you know, E equals MC squared. So I love talking about that in, you know, the two things that people are not supposed to talk about, you know, you know, religion and politics, those things are two of my favorite things because it's like, it's real. It gets real, man. You know, who are we? Why are we here? What is God in the universe? Why are we not talking more about that rather than the Kardashians? I don't know. No, that seems like an important thing. It's almost like, you know, you are what you eat. And if you eat constantly junk food, your body's going to reflect that. If you constantly are having superficial conversation, your soul, your psyche, your brain is going to respond to that. And you're not going to grow in the same way as if you're having deeper conversations, even if there's some disagreement. But the thing that I'm really focused on, to be honest right now, is the 2022 midterms. And I have created a completely new model of civics and politics. I used to teach civics when I was in law school that can actually bring the country together. And it's focused on issues and specific bills. For example, yesterday was 420 day. I don't know how you feel about marijuana, but the vast majority of Americans, Democrats, Republicans, independents, men, women, old people, young people, the vast majority of Americans believe that marijuana should be at least decriminalized, if not legalized. And medical marijuana, almost everyone agrees with that. And CBD, you know, and other derivatives of the the hemp plant, right, should be legalized, but it's not, right? And so there is a piece of legislation called the MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity Restoration and Expungement Act that passed the House of Representatives. And if we elect a few more people who support it to the United States Senate, it can actually pass the Senate next year and be signed into law. And all of the people, for example, who are in jail now because they had possession of a small amount of marijuana, when we have states like mine in California where you can go into a dispensary yep. and buy as much as you want, I mean, it's just not equitable. It's and not the money, money, the money, it's causing people to federally be criminals in a way because the federal government doesn't recognize it as legal money or right. gains, so right? Bill, so it's like, yeah. In this bill, there, there will be ways for the federal government to make money off of that, mm-hmm. right? There'll be an mm-hmm. excise tax, right? Yep, yep. So it's legisl- and climate change legislation and voting rights legislation and equal pay for women and background checks for guns, right? There are things that the vast majority of our country agrees with, but because of obstruction, primarily by one party, and this stupid filibuster rule, which says that a simple majority in the United States Senate cannot pass things, you have to get 60. Mm-hmm. And getting 60% is way harder than getting 50% plus one person. Yep. Right. <laughs> but so the midterm elections is an opportunity to actually create our reality in a macro way. That's what politics is. 
I'm responsible for creating my own individual reality by the way I think and my actions, how I eat, all of that. And we create our collective reality in large part by electing our leaders who set the tone. Mm -hmm. You know, a CEO sets the tone in a corporation and leaders in Congress and the, the, the White House and governor's houses, they set the tone. And there will be 120 million American citizens eligible to vote who will not be voting in the November 8th midterm elections as a result. Be because of, because of from marijuana prosecution? No, 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 no. I mean, these are people who, even if they were felons, they now can vote, right? We have mm -hmm. 120 million, mainly young people who, I don't care about politics. I'm just, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah, people yeah. of color because they don't yeah. understand, they don't understand the game of politics. Mm -hmm. And, and so my message and what I've been working on a lot is let's have this not be the midterms. Let's have it be the marijuana midterms. And right. Okay. Yeah. Put a, about that. Put a theme Let's have it be it. the climate change midterms. Let's have right. it be the equal pay for women or the voting rights mid. Right. So pick an issue that you're passionate about, kind of like when you're public speaking. How do you get passionate about? The pick an issue you're passionate about, and find the people. I mean, they're more likely to be one party than the other, but find the people who are going to make that happen. All you need to do is get. 60 people in the Senate or 51 people who can change the laws and then reelect 218 people in the House and have a president who will sign it. So there's the magic number of politics. It's just a game, second grade arithmetic to get to the numbers of people who support your vision of how your city, your state, your country, your world are going to be. And that's very, yeah. that's incredibly exciting to me. And so that's been that's going to be my focus, teaching civics, teaching how we come together as a country around the issues that we already agree on. Well, but, but let me ask you this as we wind down, because I know, Richard, do you think that there's something out there, someone, something, some group that does not want us to be unified, that wants to continue to divide because it keeps something or someone in power? Because that's what I look at a lot of times. And just so this is my observation, whether it's, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm looking at it and it, I see that when I'm out in the real world, if I'm on Clubhouse talking, I don't know if you're familiar with Clubhouse or not, of but course. there's the Clubhouse. Of course. And I'm out, there, like, there's a lot of conflict, but there's also a lot of unity. I see, I see more unity with the people that I hang out with, uh, which is very diverse crowd. And I feel like that a lot of people are getting brainwashed or doctrinated into div divisiveness. And I think that's intentional so that, we don't unify. Do you, do you agree with that observation? Well, many people have said, said that Putin, for example, has a real desire to, to see disunity and the consequent weakening of America. Right? I mean, throwing nuclear bombs at each other is not the only way that you can wage war, right? Yeah. And so there certainly is that. But there's also, I think, in social media, is incredible. I love it. I love Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Clubhouse, all of those things. But when I was younger, my parents, my grandparents, my brothers, my friends, we all watched the same reality on television and on radio. We had very limited avenues. It was yeah. only three television stations back I when remember. I was very young. Right? I remember. <laughs> and that means you all sat down and you heard what Walter Cronkite was telling you about what was going on in the world. And then you could have a conversation based on a shared consensus reality yeah. based on, yeah. on that. And then also, you know, limited radio shows. And now everyone has curated and created their own reinforcement loop 
on things. And we saw that with COVID and with masks and with vaccines. And, and so I have a solution for that as well, which is we need to have real media that takes it on. It's like, okay, Bobby Kennedy, you think vaccines are horrible and they're going to kill us? Great. Let's have you sit down with Tony Fauci. Let's have an intelligent, thoughtful, lawyer-like conversation about mm -hmm. vaccines, about masks, about whether Donald Trump won the election or not, and had it, and it was stolen from him by Joe Biden. A lot of people believe that. And as a lawyer, I'm trained to let's just look at the evidence, right? Mm -hmm. So let's have more conversation, but in a respectful, logical, productive way. And yeah, I think that's I, our way out of that. I agree. I, I see a lot of this happening on Clubhouse. In the the more uh, where I want I want to be careful of the word the. the be not the nonsense rooms where people are uneducated and just ranting. The more intellectual rooms, I'll, I'll say, the more informed rooms. I see a lot of that happening, and you know, it's happening. I've seen people change their minds and their beliefs that I never thought would by being and spending time in these rooms and actually listening to people. And Again, uh, it's, it's if, amazing. If you come with an open mind. Coming back to the very beginning, Mike. You know, you are a learner. You're curious. You have this beginner's mind. It's like, I just want to learn more. And that's the real solution, right? The real solution comes with the individual responsibility, the people that are consuming this very jaded social media, you know, feedback loop that they've created. And it's like, just to keep an open mind. Yeah. I, yeah. I, got, a, I, I got a huge compliment from a celebrity friend of mine. He goes, you know, you're not like other liberals because he's like a moderate, right? And he gave yep. me all yep. sorts of stuff. He said, you actually are open to listening to the other side. And I said, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm by, by the way, I'm in, I'm a moderate as well. Uh, I lean a little bit further to the right, but I, man, I love talking to, to people that are liberal because I want, like you said, it's curiosity. I want to learn, like, why do you think that way? Maybe what am I missing? Am I missing something? Because if you're not that way and you're like, my way is the right way. I don't care what you think. And you're crazy. Liberal liberals are crazy or, or far right people. Are I mean, I just, they're, 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 you know, that just doesn't make any sense for growth. <laughs> like, I don't know how people live that way. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I, it's a generalization, but generalizations are <laughs> destroying the world. Right. hundred percent. So yeah, the truth yeah. is, so it, even if I'm a liberal, I'm a Richard Green liberal. And like what I was saying before, I'm going to have a unique take on it. Yeah. And even if ultimately I vote for the same people that you don't vote for, you might get something different by actually having a conversation with me and, and, and me with them. And the, one of the reasons, last point on this, that I have my political views that I do is, I, so I'm a, I'm a big D Democrat, right? I mean, that's my political party. You may have a different one because it, it's, that's where my values are. But the truth is, even more than a big D Democrat, I'm a little D Democrat. I believe in democracy. And all I want, and this is what my civics teaching is about, is let's actually actualize the things that a majority of Americans want and not get stopped and blocked and, and, and have people feel like there's no hope that our democracy doesn't work because democracy is the rule by the majority. So whatever the majority of Americans want. So if America, if the majority wants a wall on the southern border, let's have a wall on the southern border. Mm -hmm. If the majority Maybe. wants to legalize marijuana, let's legalize marijuana. I mean, that's the that's, essence that's of democracy. Democracy, and yeah, that's that's what I'm working really hard for. Yeah, and and I and I, you know, 
despite the fact that you're further left than I am, I still like you. So that's the other thing. People don't like the other people for some reason. So anyway, Richard, I, I had a great conversation with you today and a lot of things get done through conversation. And I want to thank you today for joining us. What's the best way for the audience to engage with you or contact you? Well, probably the most, so I have Facebook and whatever, but probably the most relevant is my Twitter at the civics dean at the civics dean but if people want to reach out to me i'd love to hear oh my god i saw you on mike's show you're so full of it i love getting those <laughs> as opposed to oh i saw you on mike's show uh, you know you're awesome I, whatever it is i mean i don't have a problem with people emailing me it's like you know why are, oh i don't want to give out my email no it's it, it doesn't hurt me to have a hundred thousand <laughs> emails right yeah richard at Richard at words that shook the world.com. That's my email address, Richard at words that shook the world.com, the name of my book, that one, or www.richardgreen with an E on the end, richardgreen.org. That's my business website. And awesome. my TED talk, my TED talk is, is on there as well. Yeah, go check out Richard's TED talk. I saw that. I didn't get the chance to watch the whole thing. I started, to be quite honest, I saw it and uh, I'm going to finish watching it myself. So, Richard, thank you so much for being here. I consider you a new friend. If there's anything I can ever do for you, just ask. Uh, I'm your boy C Rock, man. And you guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Up show with C Rock and our new friend, Richard Green. Go subscribe to the platform, guys. Go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, YouTube. Watch these. They're not just a podcast, they're also a show that you can watch. Keep coming back, keep subscribing. And again, thank you so much for the support that you've given me and my show. And until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at MikeCRockSirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, Mike crock.com forward slash book that's mike crock.com forward slash book go get yourself a copy thank you so much for your support and your listenership it means the world to me